sound bites from scripture are wonderful, but but setting things in context is is even more wonderful. Welcome back to Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. I'm your host, Helena Martin. This is a podcast where we invite you to listen to two Yale Divinity School professors, often from different disciplines, talk about what strikes them in that week's revised common lectionary. This episode, we have research associate and lecturer Felicity Harley-McGowan and Bruce Gordon, Titus Street Professor of Ecclesiastical History. They're discussing Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43, which is appointed for Transfiguration Sunday, February 27th. The text is read for you by student Eric Holland. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 43. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzlingly white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one of any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. Well, I have to confess this is one of my favorite passages, uh, but not necessarily uh, a favourite arising from the test itself, but from this very famous painting uh, by Raphael who finished uh, this large, what was intended to be an altarpiece, almost finished it the year he died, um, which has two sections in the upper, upper section, this representation of the transfiguration, but in the, the lower section, quite a detailed representation of this healing of the young boy which very beautifully joins the two scenes to show this healing power of the transfigured uh, Christ and bringing well the body of the epileptic uh, boy um, but also these very 
powerless in a sense, gesticulating apostles who are shown, Raphael shows beside them, who can't do anything to heal him um, and that it's it's Christ who is demonstrating he's the one in whom the power of, of God is at work and so God's majesty is manifest through him. This is the source of, of the power that will heal the child. So I... I have a very difficult um, time uh, reading the passage without seeing this this imagery, which is one of those beautiful cases, for me at least, where the text has so inspired another individual to to bring to life uh, dimensions both of of the power uh, of God and and representing that visually for us in in quite transformative ways, but also reinserting into our lives uh, individuals who are, who suffer or who are experiencing real uh, situations and challenges in the New Testament and bringing them to life so that this uh, child has an identity that they might otherwise, otherwise not. What an extraordinary image that really as you were talking about it, I found my, my whole sense of the story being, although I'm not that familiar with it, and my whole sense of the sto- story being put into a, a large canvas, a large, because it's in a very large story. Yes. But what one of the things that strikes me about it is that if you go from the opening of this passage through to the end, the healing, which is full of demons and unclean spirits and dramatic casting out and healing and admonitions about, you know, you faithless people, if you, you know, this, and as you say, the, the, the apostles standing there not being able to do anything and Jesus stepping in and the, the transfigured Christ healing is really the first act after this extraordinary moment is that, you know, his first thing to, that he does is, is to heal. But if we go right back to the beginning, it starts very quietly. It's Jesus praying. Jesus is praying, and clearly Peter and John and the others are sleeping. So it has that image of the, the passion yes. story of sleeping in the garden when Jesus praise and can you not stay awake with me so here's another situation where they're they're sleeping and jesus is is praying and we have no idea what's going to happen next and suddenly he is transformed and moses and elijah appear but there's it's it's an incredibly effective drama because then it shifts from the sleeping apostles and peter wakes up and at first he's drowsy and doesn't know what's happening and then suddenly he sees this and he's he's wide awake but he still doesn't know what's happening but we we start to get the story through his eyes and it it just seems to me that so often in the new testament peter is the person who with whom or we have this affinity you know he is the very flawed character yet the very at the end, very faithful one, but he's a person of of human weakness, and this story shows his human weakness. He 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 doesn't know what's happening, and then he completely misinterprets what's happening, and and then he has this idea 
which is even the Bible makes clear is a very bad idea, yes. that he should build three dwellings or tabernacles as different interpretations, what they are, I'm not absolutely certain. But that idea gets dismissed very quickly. And But the Bible makes it clear he doesn't know what he's talking about. But there's something very fallible about Peter, which I think could resonate with, with the reader. What would we have known what to make of this? Exactly. You're absolutely right. This He provides an entry point for us to experience some of this complete stupefaction. Well, I mean, how would we how would we interpret or uh, experience this this moment? And it's too it would be too easy to read because we're accustomed to reading about, you know, the greatness of God and the signs of glory, signs of wonder and so forth. And this is a a beautiful even if Peter has to carry the um, the bag of being the flawed one. This is a, a beautiful opportunity for us as the reader or listener to to stop and and just let let that moment sink in and think this is incredible. How how would we have how would we have responded? And the drama sort of reaches a crescendo, and it made me think of medieval mystery plays or passion plays that were performed in towns so that the local people could see them. They were they were very popular. They were um, open to everyone because they would be in the town square and they would tell biblical stories and God was rarely represented but would be, God the Father that is, is rarely represented but would be a voice, a sort of disembodied voice. And And here we have the drama of suddenly a voice comes which is the kind of interpretive moment. It, just as Jesus is in, the, is in the Jordan being baptized and the heavens open up the descent of the dove and the voice is heard, we hear the same words, this is my son. And, you know, it's one of those few moments where you, you feel like you're really being told who Jesus is at this, at this moment and, and in whom I am well pleased and, and various famous formulations of that, of that phrase. But it's one that, that, that suddenly makes clear to us what this is. And Jesus is, is the son of God. Yes. And, and I think this is, this is why I love the, the two-parter, if you like, having this this miracle is a fundamental component of this. This is another um, one of those cases where, you know, sound bites from Scripture are wonderful, but but setting things in context is, is even more wonderful in that we have this miracle that takes place, which is really unlike some of the miracles which hinge on faith. This is a miracle of compassion. So it's immediately setting this uh, this power, this greatness of God has a very tangible um, and real and immediate and human face. And I think that that is one of the things that I find extraordinary, this transition, if you like, as you pointed out, this very quiet beginning, this extraordinary light show, if you like, um, and, then, and then this immediate transition into a kind of practical dimension or a very human dimension that's human not just in terms of an individual who receives healing 
from Christ, but this miracle of compassion that shows both on the one hand the power of God at work through him, but on the other hand a, a human compassion that, 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 that we, can, we can connect with. You can really, as you say, connect with this, this begging mm. to heal. Any one of us who is a parent, a, a sibling, a, a child, knows what it's like to, you know, to be desperate for help. And this is an only child, I yes. think, Simon. Yeah. Yes, and, and that just the range of emotions that you're taken through. And, and one of the things that this reminds me, that the point that you, you made there, is that whenever we read a, a passage from the Bible, it's, we should always be thinking what comes before and what comes after. Where is this in the story? It doesn't exist very much anymore, but in the Reformed tradition, at the beginning, with Zwingli and, and, and Calvin, the, the tradition was that you began at the beginning of a book and you preached the whole way through, genealogies and all. You just simply went and you continued until you finished. Now, I could see various problems with that, and obviously it took months usually to do. But on the other hand, what a wonderful way of kind of living through the whole of the text. And I think as you were saying here, if we just stopped at the end of the transfiguration, we would have no idea that the first act of the transfigured Christ is to heal when, a, you know, a parent is begging and the, the disciples can't do anything. But his first act is a healing one. Thanks for listening. For a transcript of this week's episode and the catalog of all our past episodes, check out YaleBibleStudy.org. And remember to follow us on Twitter, at BibleYale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Production help by Chriselle Bryce, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thanks to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School, and thank you to Professors Harley McGowan and Gordon for their insights this week. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.